every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the trees. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the second Saturday of the month here in this beautiful March day, 14th. And we've got ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower in studio talking trees. And I bet you there ain't a tree complaining out there this week. Man, what a nice watering. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. It makes me feel good. You can it must make them feel. The you can feel good. water by the numbers. You can do it textbook perfect. But there's nothing that overcomes the natural rain cycle. Yeah, they're loving it. This is just what we need, you know. And 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 it's nice to have this week after week after week of of this seasonal rain because it's just going to be a. Uh, make for a, a really good, healthy year. Those trees that start storing those water reserves and start putting on new um, leaf material as a result of the rains are just going to be better equipped to be able to handle the uh, hot weather that's coming around the corner. They're not going to be as liable to all the pest and disease issues that stress trees um, um, struggle with as we head into these uh, really difficult months. Uh, the uh, the water that comes from heaven is uh, is is so much better, really, in many ways than the, the the water that we put down through our irrigation system. So there's there's rain gauges. I'm on rainlog.org right now. There's rain gauges in McCormick Ranch showing over four inches year to date. Rio Verde over seven inches year to date. Woo! Nice. And early on in the year, that's that's a that's a good sign. I mean, because we have our annual rainfall is about uh, about eight inches here in the Phoenix area. So when we've already got four inches in March, that's a that's a good sign. That's excellent. I love that. Yeah. I do too. Uh, I love it. The trees love it. The weeds love it. The roofers love it. <laughs> Gutter installers love it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 so good to have have that that seasonal rain. It is uh, producing some serious weeds. If anybody's been out in your backyard and you're seeing those weeds, you're, those of you who, who did your uh, diligence in, in putting down your pre-emergent uh, sprays are, uh, are, are smiling today. Uh, those who didn't or those who don't generally apply pre-emergence, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of extra work uh, to get some of those weeds out. But now's the time. While the ground is nice and, and, and soft, those weeds come out a lot more easily than they do if, when the. If when your that, kids are home for the next two weeks, I'd say <laughs> run to Ace Hardware, pick yourself up some hula hose. Man, you've got the next couple of weeks covered. Here's it, your here, field trip. <laughs> it, it's in the yard. Yeah, a, Huck, a little Huck Finn might uh, work for you right now, too, and try to conscript a few workers to, to get out there and, and uh, pay them a penny per weed. You know, do, do remember to uh, uh, to wear gloves. You know, I've made the mistake of going out there and feeling, you know, energetic on a Saturday morning and grab that hula ho. And I haven't had one in my hand for several months. And uh, within about an hour, I've got some wicked blisters. So be sure you, you, you put those gloves on if you're not used to pulling that hula ho. But yeah, we've got a, 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 a crop of weeds. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> We're also good. This water will put on a nice growth and uh, for a lot of our trees and could lead to... Uh 
maybe a little extra time doing some pruning and, and shaping work before we get into our summer months? Yeah, well, this is really our prime time for doing a lot of pruning of, of our evergreen trees, especially. You know, we had our, you were kind of coming to the end of our, our prime time for, for trimming deciduous trees. Although it's still, you know, early enough, we, we, we can prune deciduous trees really to the end of April. But that, you know, after then, you want to start reducing the dosage of pruning on, on those smooth bark trees and your evergreens. I mean, your, your deciduous trees. But evergreens, all of your eucalyptus, your mesquites, some of your desert trees, anything that holds its leaves all year long, this is your time to be pruning those. Mo- most importantly, there's a, a window of time for pruning your citrus and your frost-sensitive trees. And that's starting about the 15th of February uh, through till about the end of April. So if you want to do any pruning on those trees, a little more significant reduction on your citrus trees, now is the time to do that. You don't want to be doing any heavier pruning on citrus and, um, and more sun-sensitive plants uh, uh, in the middle of the summer. So you want to try to get that pruning done now. Also, if you want to do any renovation of your shrubs, maybe some of you have been waiting to do a little bit of heavier pruning on your shrubs. Uh, many of you prune your shrubs back after the frost damage has occurred. And there's some uh, others of you who have um, some of those uh, shrubs that are, are pruned in a geometric shape and you would love to kind of get them back to their natural growth habit. This is the time to do that. Any kind of reduction pruning on those, and we do a lot of it this time of year, uh, this is the time. You can cut those back to maybe a, a third or a half their their height and then thin out the remaining stems uh, you can also do some selective pruning in the tops of those uh, globes, those, those geometric shapes, and try to blow some holes in that canopy to allow some sun to get inside. And, and uh, uh, there's several methods, but we, uh, uh, we recommend this being the time to do that, February, March, April, uh, because, you know, any time after that, it's a little too difficult on the shrubs to do that kind of serious, what we call radical pruning or renovation pruning, where we're reducing the, the tops of those shrubs down significantly. Join the conversation at one 767 4348 That's one 4 you If you want to send a text, you can do so to 411923. Or if you're like Jeff and you have a situation you need a little visual assistance you can snap a picture and send it to info at rosie on the house.com we'll address his uh, mesquite chilean mesquite problem here in a little bit but uh, we've got a tree of the month as well we do our tree of the month is one of my favorites it's a uh, palo blanco the palo blanco is uh, was the the botanical name used to be acacia willardiana but now it's Mario Sousa Willardiana. Check that out. I mean, we I don't know what happens. These um, There are certain uh, characteristics of the plants which under a little uh, uh, deeper scrutiny uh, by the academics determines that it shouldn't be under one genus. It should be under another genus. And this has been happening with a lot of frequency. But I have the privilege today of introducing a guest that I have in studio who actually recommended this tree to me because she said it was one of her favorites. And I have the privilege today of introducing Janet Weibel. She's a landscape architect, and I'd like her to tell me a little bit, why do you like the Palo Blanco? What's the characteristics that made it made it one of your favorites? Well, thank you, John. Um, I like this tree because it fits in um, smaller spaces, 
and it's a very polite tree. It's got a soft canopy. It's very wispy, but it also provides the privacy in some of these spaces. Oftentimes, um, they're used along the sides of homes between properties, and they give you a little bit of privacy, some shade, and they stay smaller with um, very little maintenance. They are they are very low maintenance. I love them too because of the they they have a, a a delicate but a beautiful little bloom too as they get a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, but l- pretty low litter for the most part. Low litter. Um, the roots are not intrusive. They won't bother your um, nearby walls or sidewalks. And they put a nice sheer curtain up there in the sky um, to shield second story windows. And they just offer a nice soft canopy along your property or in corners. They're, they do really or look really well in masses, like three or f- groupings of three or five, because um, they're not a huge tree, but they provide a nice statement. They have a white papery bark that's really interesting. And then if you combine those with some understory plants, it makes a really nice composition in certain areas of your yards. Yeah, they, they have a, an exfoliating bark that kind of uh, gives some character and Mm -hmm. texture to the landscape as well. You can either pull it off and expose that beautiful white bark underneath, or you can leave it on if you like that little architectural variety. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really an an interesting, unique plant. They're a little bit um, kind of like that unruly teenager when they're younger. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have to be kind of patient to make sh- to yeah. let it achieve its landscape purpose. Right. But once they get established in the landscape, there's nothing quite like them. They're a distinct, unique plant, and um, they've got a few on display at the Desert Botanical Garden. Mm-hmm. If you want to go out there and kind of check them out, what a great time of year to be getting out there before it gets too hot and walk some of those paths and ask around uh, at the de- at the Botanical Garden to take a look at their Palo Blancos, mm-hmm. beautiful trees. Speaking of which, we talked. you mentioned that they don't have roots that are invasive. One of my main reasons for bringing you into the studio to, this morning, Janet, was because I appreciate all the hard work you've done in writing this uh, incredible textbook that the Arizona Landscape Contractors Association has used for the last 10 years. It's their basic curriculum for teaching their landscape uh, contractors sustainable landscape management practices. And you you being the author of that, you have brought together uh, um, so many great ideas, best practices for uh, marrying your landscape, your hardscape elements. And of course, as an arborist, I'm coming from the standpoint of the, of the green parts of that landscape. But I, I've seen some of the work that you've done and I just wanted to, you to talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges you face in, in designing landscapes and bringing plants into those landscapes, especially trees. You know, what are some of the challenges you face? Um, the biggest challenge we face is space. Is there adequate physical space to plant this tree? Um, many times the clients want um, large trees to start the project. And when you bring in a 36-inch box tree, you've got to make sure you have the physical space in the ground to put it. And then um, what are the adjoining surfaces or structures? And you've got to select plant materials that won't disturb those over time. As we know, five, ten years goes by pretty fast, and all of a sudden your wall is lifting, your sidewalk's lifting, pipes are being intruded into, and it's like, oh, my goodness, this was not the best choice of a tree. And the tree's always the size, 
that you've been wanting it to get exactly. to, and the right. last thing you want to do is cut it down. <laughs> well, exactly. It's it's a very um, difficult situation, to say the least. Um, so we really like to study the plant materials and get to know what their characteristics are and what they're going to do in that three, five, or ten years, and then make a, an informed decision as to, yep, that plant will work. It will do what it's intended to do. I'm a treetop flyer Born survivor In the middle of talking trees, and we talked about evergreens and trimming deciduous and shrubs, we got a text listener that wants to know about, what about palm trees? When should I schedule that? Well, queen palms can be done pretty much year-round because they're producing seed pods pretty much through the uh, growing season, spring through fall. <clears throat> but the palm, the fan palms produce a seed at a specific time of year, every year. And date palms are putting out their dates starting in April. They should be pruned about May 15th. Fan palms are putting out their seed pods. They should be pruned June 15th. California fan palms should be pruned about July 15th. The reason we we wait until those deadlines is because if you prune them earlier than those deadline dates, you'll likely have some late emerging seed pods. And you do have to put up with some of the flowers uh, for a little bit longer period of time. Some people say, I can't stand the flowers dropping in the pool. And, and so they'll call out someone to do the trimming in April or May. But if they don't wait, in, but what will happen is you'll have some seed pods that will emerge later after you've done the trimming, and then you'll have to live with those seed pods the rest of the year or, or trim the trees twice. So there are some deadlines. We have those listed on our website. Feel free to call or look up the, uh, uh, our website at itreeservice.com. We'll get you to our tree calendar. itreeservice.com will get you to the tree calendar. You can look those dates up. Very good. Well, back to a little discussion on our uh, our landscape practices. Uh, Janet and I were talking just a minute ago just about the the applications of specific trees for specific purposes in the landscape, and it all starts with preparation. You know, making those plans ahead of time. If you're planning to do a landscape installation or bringing a, a couple of trees into your landscape, be thinking in terms of the amount of space they're going to need for the roots, not just the overhead space. Look up, down, and all around, they say. Of course, look up. Make sure you're not under a power line. You don't want to be putting a 30-foot a, a tall tree that's going to grow right up into the power lines. Um, and look, look look all around. Look to the sides. Make sure that you, it's going to be the mature height and spread of the tree. It won't be uh, you know smacked into the house or into the wall. Sometimes if you put a tree against a wall, it's, all it's going to do is grow away from the wall to get available sunlight. And the last thing is to look down. Make sure that there's no hardscape elements like Janet was just saying. You don't want the roots to be invading and, and lifting up your, your block walls. But once you made those plans, then you can go find the, the tree to fit that space. You know, right tree, right place. The, uh, anything else that you are challenges you're facing when you start a, a landscape design? So people come to you with a blank slate and say, hey, you know, what can I do here? 
Um, yeah, we like to know that the soil conditions are um, healthy and appropriate for the plant materials. The valley has uh, got a variety of soil conditions. You go from rocky, hard, impossible, well-draining soils, but predominantly we have clay soils. And so we just have to make sure the site we're working on will be suitable for the plants and the roots and the kind of drainage and water retention that they require. You also mentioned that a lot of people are leaning toward pots. Pots are a, a great option for um, smaller plants. Um, if you want to kind of give your landscape a, a little bit more of an enhancement, um, add some color. Your annuals do really well in um, prepared potting mix. And they just add a nice touch to the landscape, kind of finishes it off. And you can also get small trees if you get a big enough pot. We've seen small citrus trees, kumquats, mm. um, smaller trees in pots. And that just elevates your landscape and gives you that tree form. But then you're not worrying about underground invasiveness. Yeah, I, we've had some problems with putting our plants up on the patio. Kind of, It's nice because you can move them. You know, in the winter, you can pull them out into the sun, and then in the summer, you can kind of pull them back. But the problem in the summer is when we pull those pots back underneath our, our patio, when we water them, and they, then the, the water overflows, and we have this rusty, dirty streaks um, running all over our patios, too. Mm. So Nobody likes that. Yeah, it's not, not very attractive. So no. got a plan for that, too, um, which you can do if you don't have an irrigation system and a drainage system from the pot, you can put a layer of drain rock in the bottom of the planter, and that would help um, create a reservoir for water for a while. But you got to keep an eye on it so it doesn't get too full and or doesn't drain and creates an un, undesirable odor. Um, yeah. So just think about that. Yeah, I think we need to get a little bit uh, larger uh, pan on the bottom that, yep. that can yep. uh, that can hold a little bit more of the overflow. Right. You know, just those little plastic ones you can buy just don't hold enough. No. But, but the other ones can be kind of expensive, too, to buy, oh, yeah. Yeah. buy a larger one. But we need something, some solution so that if we put a little bit too much water in, it's not going to just right. end up flowing all over the, the, the back patio. Well, this is the time of year we're also going to be looking at um, uh, a little bit about our Irrigation timers, just a reminder, of course, um, to shut off your, your timer now that we've had all that rain. It might be okay to throw that on your rain uh, uh, setting for another few days. Uh, we've got a, a saturated soil all over our, our um, all over the valley, so uh, be sure to uh, remember to turn it back on in a week or so. Don't let it go for too long. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about fertilizing got this great rain that's just come is it you know is it a good time to fertilize and apply it while it's wet fertilize always takes better when the soils are wet and a lot of them require you to water in troy's online wants to talk about a new home with a sisu tree and we've got an open line for you at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you i'll buy you tall tall trees and all the waters in the seas i'm a fool Well, in some places of Arizona, it sure feels like we've got all the water in the seas dumped on us this week. We got mud everywhere. Rodeo events called off. Uh, everybody's just 
sitting around. We, our stalls were mucking out water. And But, man, you know, as irritating and as frustrating as that is, I just love looking over at the orchard. I mean, the, the immediate <laughs> tone of green it turns with natural rainwater is very enjoyable. I, I love, uh, you know, seeing all the uh, hillsides so nice and, and, and green. Um, it's just really nice to see that spring rain just uh, call, uh, give us a little taste of Ireland, you know, <laughs> driving around that, that, that dreamy draw curve. Yeah, I know it's beautiful this time of year. Hopefully the fire um, problems won't be too severe this summer because all these dry weeds are going to turn brown in about two or three months, and then we're going to have a, real, a lot of uh, possible fire, fire problems, you know. So, I, and people say that and they see new weeds growth and, and the undergrowth and they see fire problems. I, I see food. <laughs> turn the cattle out. Turn the turn the goats out. This is perfect. We don't have to buy feed. It's growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, speaking of, uh, we talked a little bit about weed control earlier. Uh, just a, a reminder, if you're doing any uh, spot spraying of weeds or having your landscaper do some post-emergent uh, spray with various contact herbicides, be careful that you don't uh, spray the trunks of your trees and dis- and plants that you don't want to um, uh, be in contact with that contact herbicide. Contact herbicides are, the, the name s- says what um, what they are, they will kill whatever the, 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 uh, the herbicide touches. So be very careful. We've seen a lot of overspray on the, on the bottoms of trees that were just in the in an effort to put down the um, the herbicide on, on the granite the the soil around the base of the tree that the uh, applicators were not careful and they sprayed the the bottoms of those trees. Well, those trees will will absorb that um, that chemical into their system and it can really really uh, hurt them bad you know pretty badly. Even saw one landscaper who was spraying all of the little sprouts at the bottom of all the olive trees at a property that I went and checked out, and the uh, owner had asked me to do a consultation. And I, as soon as I saw the the marker, um, the ye- that identifying marking marker that they use to let you know where the the spray is being applied, I could see the the coloring on all of the little sprouts around the base of these olive trees. And I said, "Well, there's your problem right there." Uh, and the trees had started declining. Well, they'd been doing this regularly for week after week, month after month, spot spring, and trying to kill all those little sprouts coming up around the base of the olive tree, not realizing that it was translocating up into the top of the tree and causing a lot of serious dieback. So be careful of that. Before we get to our calls here, I showed you the email from Jeff, who he sent in some pictures of his mesquite tree where the bark was, uh, it looks like in the middle of the trunk, it just... It's kind of like falling off. <laughs> yeah, it looks like there was a prior injury he'd mentioned. And you know, sometimes those prior injuries can, the tree will compartmentalize around it and, and, and move on. And uh, you just have to be kind of careful that there might be, it might be a structural weakness that the tree carries into its future. And it might be a, a liability down the road. You need to just uh, determine, you know, how much growth is above that weakness. Also, I noticed too, there was, he mentioned there was some uh, black uh, ooze coming out of those that wound, and that's really common in mesquite trees. It's called slime flux. It's a mild bacterial infection. Generally, doesn't hurt the trees. Uh, it just uh, finds a place to express some of that um, uh, that infection. 
Uh, trees can live with it for the essentially for the life of the tree. You'll see it out in the desert. It's very common. It doesn't uh, often kill kill plants. They live with it. They can work around it. Uh, it can be a, a cosmetic problem if, if that slime flux is dripping on your 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 sidewalk or your patio. So you need to be um, there's not a lot of remedies for trying to dry it up. Although some uh, there are some uh, some some chemical applications which can be effective in helping to dry up some of that slime flux. Uh, we could talk to you about those if you wanted to give us a shout. Okay. We'll make sure we get him in contact with you. Let's get to our callers, one 767 That's one 888 for you. We're going to start with Troy and Chandler. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Um, I have just purchased a home uh, in Chandler, built in the mid to late 90s. It has an Indian rosewood or sisu tree. I'm going to estimate about 35 feet in height. I want to trim it down by about a third, but I want to know what should I be doing in the future to uh, keep roots from causing issues. I see all of my neighbors have pools. This tree is located about 20 feet from the uh, back wall. Anything I need to do to manage this tree? Yeah, there's a lot you can do. Um, whether it's going to be successful in the long term um, is is the is the main question because sisus are very aggressive rooting trees, and they're sometimes hard to uh, hard to control. Uh, in terms of reducing the top of the tree a third of its height, uh, you want to be sure that you have a qualified arborist who can make proper crown reduction cuts. You don't want to just top that tree and cut it down at an arbitrary location because that will send out a big flush of, of uh, disorganized growth that will come out of those cuts, and that'll be a, a bit of a management headache in the future. But you can make proper crown reduction cuts, cutting back to proper lateral branches uh, that a skilled arborist can help you with. Also, the, uh, uh, the root problems is the main issue with sissies is that they um, they have very aggressive rooting systems. If you're a ways away from your wall, you might want to consider putting in a root barrier now if you can uh, go to a certain radius from the tree and actually trench down and put in a, a root barrier. It might protect uh, your hardscape elements from any future uh, encroachment from those roots. Uh, it's a, an option you might have because as that tree gets, gets larger, uh, those roots will um, find any water source and begin to colonize and send out a, a proliferation of other growth that can uh, be really disruptive to the irrigation systems, can get underneath walks. Uh, it's been known if your neighbor's uh, water from their side of the fence uh, saturates below your uh, the footing of the wall, you, the sister roots will find their way through that, that water channel into the neighbor's yard. We've had a lot of disruption of uh, landscapes uh, in neighbors' properties due to uh, sissy trees that have found their way there. So lots of uh, warning signs with sissy trees. We've given them a bad rap here on this show for the last couple of years. Uh, but um, best of luck with that. If you need any further um, discussion about about the sissy tree, feel free to contact us offline. And the right application, they are great. My neighbor's got a row on each side of his driveway. And during the summertime, I mean, You'll find everybody, you know, the shade spot, beautiful sure. tree canopy, uh, and, and works great for that application. But, you know, it, it he has the room to do that. 
Right. If you've got the room for them, they're really amazing trees. Someone has said a weed is a plant out of place. And every tree has its place that it's appropriate for. And sissus actually have a place in the landscape, but you have to give them a lot of room. and don't have them anywhere uh, near where they can uh, cause some disruption. Let's go to Dave and see how we can help him with the Chinese elm trees. Dave, good morning. Welcome to the program. Uh, good morning. Um, I'll give you a little bit of history. I live in a development in Queen Creek that's about six years old. Uh, I've been here for four years. And we're mandated by the developer and HOA to have uh, four Chinese elm trees across our front yard in a grass area. So I've been able to see the history here. And, I, you know, these trees get overwatered. So maybe they'll last about three years. We get a little bit of rain or a lot of rain like we have lately. And they'll just break off at the trunk. And, um, you know, so far the developer, all they keep telling us to do is replace them. And... Um, uh, so just like to listen or understand what a recommendation is that we can take to the developer to correct this problem. Well, I'd, before I would even venture a guess as to the cause of the trees dying, I'd, I'd probably want to know what um, what the conditions were that was leading to those trunks breaking off at the ground. It makes me wonder if there might have been some poor quality nursery stock for them to break off at the trunk. There could have been circling roots that eventually strangled the trees and they snapped off. Uh, that's not uncommon. And possibly the trees are planted too deep. Uh, you know, it, if for this to be happening consistently across the entire HOA makes me wonder if the planting practices, whoever the installer was, was doing the same wrong thing over and over again. So lots of those sort of questions would need to be answered to kind of give you a, a, a an answer to your, your problem. But uh, for the most part, Chinese elms are an amazingly durable tree, a really good selection. I, I like them a lot. We've seen them planted in, uh, successfully in so many applications. Dr. Chris Martin at ASU did a research study several years ago, uh, and he surveyed uh, and looked at the quality of trees in limited planting spaces in traffic islands all across Phoenix. And the number one tree, the most durable, bulletproof tree in all of Phoenix was the Chinese elm tree. Beat out all the desert trees, all the mesquites, and it just shows that those trees are just an amazing, uh, amazingly adaptable species for our desert climate. They love it when you give them water, but they can handle um, low, low water applications as well. So I don't know what happened to the ones that you're talking about there. Could be a, so, uh, a an HOA-wide soil problem. So, yeah, it would really take somebody to do a little bit more um, investigative work to kind of come uh, come up with a a solution for you. But best of luck. I, I, I'm sorry. I think they, they ch- chose a, a good plant. So let's figure out what the cultural problems were that uh, didn't allow the, those those trees to succeed. He didn't mention a pathogen of some sort. Would that be a problem? You know, he said they, they broke off. You know, if the trees had died, you know, you might be thinking cotton root rot or some other um, soil-borne uh, pathogen. But I didn't hear him say that. Um, sounds like there was a mechanical problem of some sort. And you had a lot of body language here going on, Janet. <laughs> yes, nods. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, evergreen elm is a very um, versatile tree, and it's it's like John said, basically um, foolproof. But if the tree is planted too deep, the moisture seeps under that cambium layer and rots the wood, and that could cause the breaking. If they're planting it too deep and they're just replacing the tree without checking checking the depth of the planting pit 
and possibly adding material and making sure it tamps, you know, they tamp it solid, all these things can create a settling situation where the tree just ends up being too deep. Yeah, and you make a good uh, good point with the irrigation, too. If they're getting, if it's in a turf setting and they're getting regular watering to keep that grass healthy, that that constant moisture at that root collar could be causing an issue right there that's uh, uh, weakening the tree and causing them to break off. Seemed like last time you were in, you know, wood chips took over the entire hour and was the miracle cure-all for everything. <laughs> and I, I think you just need wood chips, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be nice if we had a little bit of space around our trees, a couple of feet to keep the grass away from the base of the trees, keep the turf away. That that has been a successful strategy for keeping those root collar issues uh, from damaging our trees that are, have to be set in a turf setting. Talking trees, final segment right after this. As go the roots, so go the shoots. Yes, sir. You know what? As those shoots get taller and bigger and broader and enjoying all this wonderful rain, they're also attracting a few creepy crawlies, you know. A lot of insects are going to just be having a, a heyday. And those insect populations will, of course, you know, be responding to the, uh, the, the, the smorgasbord that they have in our yards so be thinking about the caterpillars, the psyllids, the white flies. Um, there is a kind of let us know if you're seeing any of those out there. We every week we have a, a, a meeting with all of our arborists and we sit down and, and talk about what we're seeing in the landscape because there's things that, that we're we're out there um, with our our heads in the in the in the branches and uh, underneath those shrubs and um, we're always kind of on the lookout for when those first signs of uh, white flies are hitting the ficus trees or the caterpillars and the tacomas or the bougainvilleas. And uh, let us know if you're seeing those anywhere in the valley because we like to try to stay on top of those. Sometimes these insect um, populations will kind of rise, and as they do, then the predators come in and they knock them down naturally. That's what we like to try to – RIPM principles are that we use the least toxic methods of controlling insects. We never like to pull out the chemicals if we don't need to. Generally, these insect um, populations – are, have a bell curve. Uh, they will um, peak and then they'll they'll decline at, at, on their own. Sometimes they're seasonal. You know, as soon as the hot weather hits 100 degrees, a lot of these populations decline. And of course, as the populations increase, then the, the birds come in, the other predator insects will come in and feed on those. And so it's not a, a necessarily a, a cause for alarm, but because we've had all this heavy rain and the prolific growth, we can anticipate some of these populations maybe being a little heavier than normal. And it's discouraging to see your cascalotes uh, be completely defoliated by the psyllids or see your bougainvilleas and some of your other shrubs getting decimated by the caterpillars. So if you're wanting to get some controls over those, you know, we're, we're standing by to help with that. Um, and fertilizer. Best practice fertilizing. Yeah, what, what do you, you know, when we have all this rain. By the way, fertilizer is an interesting commodity because uh, a lot of our desert trees are so well adapted to our soil conditions, namely the pH, that they're able to handle and be able to avail themselves of the of the nutrients that are there already. 
and they do pretty well without a lot of adi- additional um, fertilization. Other non-native plants that aren't as well adapted to our soil conditions might need a little bit more uh, fertilizer to help them to, to maintain their, uh, their, their, their best health, optimum health. And with the heavy uh, rainfall that we've had, there's a lot of leaching that's going on. A lot of the nutrients that were in that soil profile are being pulled down to lower levels beyond the root zone of the plants. So it's a really great time to be thinking about fertilizing, coming in and doing a, an early, and we, we, we provide an early, a mid, and a, a late fertilizer application for most of our properties. And that's a good time. We we back off on some of the the nitrogen in the fall. We have a little bit more uh, uh, emphasis on our soil conditioners in the in the in the summer, and a little bit higher nitrogen now in the spring to kind of give a nice uh, strong push. If you missed your fall fertilization last year, now is a good time to uh, be coming in with that spring fertilization to kind of give your trees a jump start, especially uh, when we've had this bit of leaching uh, with a heavy rainfall this spring. And Janet, tell me about your book. Is that available uh, for anybody? Uh, it is. It's available from our website as one location. And ELCA, the Arizona Landscape Contractors Association, also sells it. Um, it's been available for about 10 years now. Or we've sold over 4,000 copies. And it's a good handbook for homeowners. But the direction of it is towards our maintenance companies and their crews so that they have a ready resource to make good decisions in the field as they're doing their job. But it's so so well written and so accessible for the homeowner. It's called Sustainable Landscape Management, and you can find it through uh, Janet's website, but also through um, the Arizona Landscape Contractors Association. And it's it's got just some great principles. Reading through this would help you to know if your landscape uh, company is uh, is employing sustainable right. landscape management practices. Right. So I- even if you may not be doing the work yourself, uh, right. uh, knowing some of these basic principles will really help you to be able to give instructions to your landscape uh, management company that's working on your property or your homeowner association. And Janet, your website? Is um, my last name, which is W-A-I-B-E-L-L-A.com. We'll make sure and get that up on today's archive page at rosieonthehouse.com. And we appreciate you spending time with us. And a couple, you know, as, as we wrap up the last minute here, just recap the tree of the month. Tree of the month is our Palo Blanco. It's that beautiful, wispy, um, medium-sized tree with a beautiful white bark. It's awesome. I'm so glad that Janet came in and recommended it to us. Um, we share that as one of our favorite trees. And if somebody needed a certified arborist? The best way to get a hold of us would give us would be to give us a phone call, 602-788-0005, 602-788-0005. Integrity Save-A-Tree, you can also find them at itreeservice.com. Uh, fill out a form and somebody Monday can get back to you. We appreciate you all joining us this Saturday morning. We've been talking trees. We've got... A couple calls online that hang tight. We'll talk to you off air. Particular about a tree, uh, one in particular, the roots are wrapped around the trunk. We have actually a, a great video on that where y'all were doing, what's that procedure on that? A root collar excavation. A root collar excavation. We've got a great video on our YouTube channel where John's demonstrating that on a Palo Verde. 